belittled him on a daily basis. And yeah. I just worry that I'm not worried about the guys on this team. More Doug Collins himself. Like you kind of want to. I mean, they did win the game and they played fantastic defense. I don't know if this was really the time to go off on a you know a temper. I don't want to call it a temper tangent, but uh, a temper tantrum, but more of a you know that tangent or a rant. I don't know what it was, but kind of I worry about when he does those things. Whether you worry about losing a team, maybe or kind of burning himself out. Yeah, you know, you bring up both things, or the the concern. You were talking earlier. The the concern with Collins is that he, what it didn't used to be that he'll burn himself out because he was young enough to handle it, but that's the new one now. But the old one used to be that his act was so tough on players that he would lose the team after a few years. You know, the same kind of rap that's on Laviolette, the same rap that's on Larry Brown, that, that coaches like that just kind of end up wearing out their welcome. Um, but the bonus was that in his in his advanced age, he had realized that that was a flaw. And kind of, I, it feels like he's kind of um, utilized his assistant coaches better to have them be the bad guys sometimes. Um, but I do worry that it, it twofold with, with him and Evan is that it feels like he does ride Evan harder than he rides the other guys. Oh, absolutely. Like Drew Holiday... I feel like if Evan Turner committed, you know, I see Drew Holiday commit, you know, make a terrible play, and kind of he kind of gets a free pass. That if Evan Turner did that, it would be just he would, you know, that Doug would go off on him, you know, well, pull I, him immediately. I, I think I think he does tell Drew when he's done. The, the thing that you see with Drew is that he pulls him. Yeah, you know, he'll pull him 45 seconds. It, it's funny when you'll see Lou Williams running out to the uh, to the table when Drew Holiday's only been in the game for a minute. And it means that Doug wants, you know, Drew on the bench so he can tell him something. Drew never goes right next to him. He sits like four seats away and then eventually makes his way over to Doug when he's calmed down and he talks to him. But the, the res- it's almost like Drew is given a little bit more respect there because it, Doug, you know, when you show a guy up in front of everybody like Doug kind of and I, look I, I don't want to turn this into a negative thing about yeah, Doug obviously. Collins Doug Collins is great I yeah, mean if it was any yeah. other coach they'd be I don't know what the record yeah, is kind of I, great job. Yeah, we're just looking for something yeah. to pick on I guess right now but yeah I do I you know you worry about Doug Collins maybe um, because I want him to be here through next year I think my my uh, goal for Doug Collins is that I not only want him to see this year through I want him to see next year through and the third year is always when it blows up and I just don't want it to blow up here and I feel like he's definitely got to make sure that he doesn't um, you know, he's an older guy that, that he that he you know doesn't wear himself out but also that he doesn't wear the players out on him but still that said um, you know and especially and here's the other thing you have to learn about uh, Turner is it Turner Maybe this is unfair, but I think Turner has to make more of an adjustment in what he's doing than anybody else on the court does right now. And I think Turner is putting away more pride by coming off the bench, by not playing with the ball in his hands very often. You know, I think I think Lou Williams has the ball in his hands entirely too much when it's Evan and Lou on the court. You know, I want to see Evan bringing the ball up every time. But he isn't. And publicly, he's being very, you know, quiet about that and being very team player about it. And I feel like because Evan is giving up that much, I'd kind of, you know, I'd rather not see him, have all people screaming at him at the end of the night. And, uh, you know, but that said, it was a great win tonight. And, uh, I consider you uh, kind of the, you probably have never met Andy Reid in your life, but because you're 
last name, I consider you a little bit of authority on Andy Reid, and I like Andy Reid. I want him to, st- I want him to stay, and I'm nervous that you know Juan Castillo is going to sabotage the entire Andy Reid era. And uh, you know, but I, I feel good. Juan seems like a good guy. You know, uh, he doesn't sleep, and I admire that. You know, I admire <laughs> that. But is there? Here's my two things. One, you know, is there? Did he, would the old Andy Reid pre? You know, this is ridiculous. I sound like one of those people that you know he can't manage his kids. You know how he can't manage his family. How can he manage? Just, his kids? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm, I don't mean it to that extent. I mean it to, you know, I think it did mellow him a bit. You know, did the old, well, the old Andy Reid have fired Juan Castillo and said this is, you know, dreadful. You know, get out of here. We got to make a change. And you know, has he changed a bit? Or B, you know, is Todd Bowles really? Today, when they met, you know, and he, they interviewed Todd Bowles, and they said, "Listen, Todd, you're going to be the defensive coordinator. You know, you, you know, John Harbaugh was the, the defensive backs coach here. He went on to be a head coach. You can become a head coach. You're going to do most of the game planning. You know, people in the league will know that you'll get the credit if this thing goes well. But you know, we don't want to embarrass Juan like that because you know I'm a Juan Castillo guy. He's been here for so long. You know, I, I love I don't, Juan." I don't think they would undermine Juan Castillo like that. I think Bulls would probably get more more say than the average defensive backs coach would. But I don't. I think. Look, if you're if you're if you're Andy Reid and you're bringing in a new guy and you you are telling him that he could eventually be the defensive coordinator when you already have a defensive coordinator that it's already been on the hot seat. You're creating such a it would be such a miscalculation of human beings, of mammoth proportions by Andy Reid. Such an enormous miscalculation of how things will go, um, at least interpersonally, um, because you're just setting everyone up for disaster. So I don't agree there. I'm going to let you go. Dan is my favorite caller of the night. He called last week. I like Dan. Now, on to Dan's um, Dan's other point about – what was his other point? About, about Juan ruining his – ruining the Andy Reid thing or there, there was another one in there um oh man here's here's where i think andy reed lost oh you're talking about his kids and has he mellowed and so on and so forth i'll tell you what happened with andy reed the, the hardest thing to happen to andy reed and the biggest ne- negative thing to happen in andy reed's legacy is losing jim johnson is having to worry about the defense is uh, finding defensive coordinators great ones like that isn't easy it's very, very difficult to find a great defensive coordinator like that and one who isn't hunting for a head coaching job anymore, you know, and one who doesn't feel threatened like Juan Castillo probably will this year and one who, you know, whose scheme, who has such, who knows his scheme so well and knows when to call things that you never have to doubt it. And when Andy Reid lost Jim Johnson and McDermott didn't work out, and that was supposed to be, you know, the heir apparent. I just think Andy Reid, he's, he's scattered, and it's harder for him to figure out um, the offense. It's harder for him to figure out the team. Look back at the the um, the free agent acquisitions that the Eagles made this year. Does any part of that scream Andy Reid to you? Because none of it screams Andy Reid to me. It doesn't seem like anything Andy Reid would do. So you have to surmise a couple of things. The first is that he's not making all of those calls entirely. But the second is that he's not entirely focused 
on on that process is that he's not in that room saying I don't think this is the right thing because I don't care how much uh, pull you give Howie Roseman. I can't imagine Andy Reid sitting in a room with little Howie Roseman and Howie Roseman saying we got to sign this guy and Andy Reid going okay buddy no problem or losing an argument. I can't imagine that happening. So I think it's all kind of intertwined with uh, Reed's failure over the last um, three, four years. You know, even think about how inconsistent the team is. Think about how um, you know, you know, they they the offense, even when they're putting up record yards and record points, it it never at any time does it seem like an offense that is going to consistently move the ball and consistently score points. And I feel like losing Jim Johnson was the kind of thing that affected every area of the game. Look at how bad special teams have gotten. I mean, we we went into a season with a rookie punter and a rookie kicker, and I think that um, that that was the the ultimate downfall of Andy Reid. However, the thing that he did say that I do agree with is I, I certainly don't want to be called an authority on Andy Reid simply because of who my father is. That that's that's painting me into a corner I don't want to be in. My dad went and painted himself into that corner, and I'm not painting myself into that. But I do like Andy Reid, and I do genuinely think Andy Reid is a smart guy, and I think he's a general, generally that nice guy. He seems like a good person to me, um, and I think he's. Capable Capable of winning the Super Bowl. I don't think he's incapable of winning the Super Bowl. I've seen, you know, plenty of teams who I didn't think the coaches were great uh, win the Super Bowl. So I think he can win the Super Bowl, and I'm cheering for him uh, to win. I want him to win the Super Bowl because I feel like it would be a uh, a great ending to a very long story. The same reason that I want, um, I kind of want Donovan McNabb to win a Super Bowl. I think that would be a, a great story, you know. I think that the great the stories with the great endings, with the um, with the Disney type endings, are better than the stories that don't have them. Unfortunately, um, I don't know that that's going to happen. I think um, I think one of the things you have to consider when you're talking about whether um, when you're talking about both decisions that happened here, when you're talking about uh, Jeff Lurie keeping Andy Reid and Andy Reid keeping Juan Castillo, is what options they had. And if Jeff Lurie didn't think that that the next Andy Reid was out there, I don't I don't believe. The thing is, is that a lot of people here think that change for the sake of change is always the best thing to do. And I don't think that's always the most prudent thing to do, um, especially when you have somebody who is competent there. Maybe Jeff Lurie thought that, the, you know, the best the best option happened in two years and his best choice right now was to go read now. So I think Reid may have thought if. If I can't get Spagnolo, and we're everybody kind of um, you know kind of just assumes that the reason that Steve Spagnolo isn't here is because Andy Reid didn't want him that much. He may not have wanted to come here at all. You know, he may have not had any any interest. And the reason he didn't come into town for an interview is they didn't have any interest. So at that point, if you're Andy Reid and you sit back and you look at what your options are, your options are either to keep things copacetic and and stay the course. And they were improving the end of the year and at least get some continuity that you didn't have uh, the previous year, which is one of your problems or go out and get somebody just to make everybody happy. I'm kind of glad that, you know, that Andy Reid doesn't make decisions based on what we think is the right thing. That's what they're paying him for. If he made decisions based on what we think, man, 
it would be an interesting situation, but I, I don't know that we'd win many football games, and I think we definitely wouldn't win a Super Bowl. Um, here we go. Well, it took it took almost three and a half hours to get to Andy Reid and Juan Castillo. I think Castillo at this point was the right thing to do. I think, if, and and I don't know why everybody was so you know enthralled with having Steve Spagnuolo. At, me, at this point, I think Juan Castillo was the right thing to do. Maybe they failed in getting Spagnuolo, but once you fail at that, I think uh, Castillo is the right thing. Eight eight eight. Seven two nine ninety four ninety four. If we talk about Reed and Castillo, that's what we'll do. Otherwise, I had a flyer sickers name. But if you want to do the Reed Castillo thing, we'll do it. Eight 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 seven two nine ninety four ninety four. I'm Spike Eskin. Ninety four WIP Sports Time. One fourteen. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Twas the night before Wing Bowl, and all through Chickies and Pete's. All the eaters were stirring, including Kobayashi. Oh, f*** that! Let- this is the new Sports Radio 94 WIP. so funny to hear this song. I haven't heard this song in a long time. Four months. I'm Spike Eskin, 94 WIP. Want to give a... Uh, do shout-outs on WIP. Kevin Cooney, the Phillies beat writer for phillyburbs.com, said he was listening. There was that uh, that sports writer's banquet, and then I guess everybody went over to Chickie's, and uh, now he said he was on his way home and listening. And actually, everybody over at phillyburbs.com, I, that, it's, everybody over there is nice to me. Uh, Joe Mason said something nice to me. Tom Moore, the Sixers writer, was all, hey, if you're nice to me, you're good in my book. I don't, I don't care who you are. I just, if you're nice, even if, actually... Forget about nice. If you're complimentary toward me, very high in my book. Uh, Steve and Glenside, you're on 94 WIP. Good morning, Spike. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Uh, excellent. How are you? I'm good, man. Is the um, uh, man? I used to go to Glenside to go see Tommy Conwell at the um, what's the name of the place that closed down and then reopened again by the train station. Um, you don't remember, do you? Nah. Okay. I'm thinking by the tra- I know the train station is obviously. Yeah. I'll see. Glenside. I, I, Glenside's a good town. I'm. I'm all in favor of Glenside. Thank you. Um. So what's going on, man? You know, uh, when when Lurie made his little remarks a couple weeks ago, um, uh, I, I he started out by being very critical of Andy Reid, uh, then he turned around and said, "Well, he's got a fire in his belly," and. Uh, if he had a fire in his belly, why wouldn't he extend his contract? Wait, why wouldn't he extend his contract? Yeah, because this year, first of all, it was a lockout. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a normal year to start with. Uh, and you're putting a new defensive coordinator uh, with practically no practice time. And the fact of the matter is, the last four games, the defense looked pretty darn good. Uh, and I, I just don't understand why the owner would be unhappy with that kind of performance, given the fact that there was a lot of stuff this season that usually doesn't happen. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out which. So you're you're being pro read on this, right? Is that is that where you're coming from? And and I, I like I'm just kind of losing you, I guess. Yeah, be, well, yeah, be, well, because of the fact that he was working. Uh, I, I, and, I, and I don't think that Jim Johnson's death years ago, um, like you had mentioned before, I mean, be, besides that search committee, and don't forget Joe Banner. I'm sure he had input in who was going to take over. 
you can't put all the blame on Andy Reid for what happened. No, I don't. I'm not. I'm not putting. I think I, I think all Lurie was saying was that he look. They, they there's they underperformed. Hundred percent. No, they. they but look at the circumstances. No, like. no, no. I, I I agree that there's there's a reason that it happened, but it still doesn't make it acceptable, right? Like if you're speeding and you get pulled over for speeding, and that cop says to you, you were going 85 and a 55, and you say, I was late for work, officer. Well, that's a reason, and I certainly understand it, but it's not a valid excuse for doing what you did. And I think what Lurie was saying was that he understands why it happened, but still, the, the guys making the football decisions, I'm not saying it was Reed, uh, Reed alone, but the guys making the football decisions made it weren't good enough nobody performed the 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 team didn't perform well enough they probably they probably didn't make the right personnel decisions but all of them it all falls on the big question was reed nobody was asking roseman questions and nobody was at really asking banner questions they're asking reed questions and i think although i think i'm okay with him coming back and and taking one last swing at this thing and i hope it works and i think it was probably the best option because i think these guys if these guys like reed and these guys still want to play for him. And it's really, when you think about it, it's the last year of Michael Vick because if you want it to be, because he's only guaranteed like $3 million in the third year. So right. you're paying him $16 million or whatever it is this year. So if it's his quarterback, if it's his idea, if his, he likes Vick, I'm okay with, with, him, uh, with him doing this. But what I, I, th- I was totally fine with, with Lurie saying that it, it wasn't acceptable. And, um, well, what know, else, I mean, what else is he going to say? It was acceptable? Right, yeah. Well, you can't so, say that. Yeah. Uh, although, I mean, you've got a stadium that's sold out. Probably's got a couple thousand names on a waiting list. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's no. Uh, yeah, I mean, the fan interest is there. But uh, well, I do think I do think fans are, and again, I'm I'm the biggest. Um, I've written things saying that I'm I'm good with Reed being here and I'm I'm cheering for him and all of those kinds of things. But I d- there is. Um, you, you know what what happens with saying that there's fans in the stands and there's people buying merchandise is if you keep saying we're okay because that's happening one morning you're going to wake up and it's not going to happen anymore because you weren't listening to people and, I understand and, you know and there is a little bit and there just there is a little bit of I think fans are fatigued and what happens is, is when they become fatigued like this they start just maybe being emotional rather than rational, but when even if Andy Reid is the right decision for them to be here, and thank you for the call, Steve, even if Andy Reid is the right decision to be here, they're so tired, and they just can't do it again. It's like when you're playing Nintendo, right? And you're playing Super Mario Brothers, and, you know, you get to, it went, you know, level 1-1, one, 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 then 1-2, one, then 1-3, then 1-4. And you get up to level 7-3, and you, you lose your last guy, and you got to start at the beginning again. And you know you can get up to it again, but you're just so tired of seeing levels 1-1 one, one, and 1-2 one, and 1-3 one, and 1-4. One, you just don't want to deal with it anymore. So you put the game away. And you play a different play a different game, and I think what a lot of fans want is just a you know a different game and i don't I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, and I think that the only thing that's going to make that go away I, you know once the game once the season starts again, we'll be back to the the normal um you know 
the normal things that we say every year where we complain about him not knowing how to use timeouts and you know all the the things that we complain about with Andy Reid. But I think by and large, everybody will be passionate again. When the draft comes, we'll all make pretend we know how good specific linebackers are, even though we've never seen them play. Or how good certain tight ends are, even though we've never seen them play. We'll do all those things. But right now, everybody's just a little bit tired. And I think I understand why they're tired. The place I was talking about in um, in Glenside was the Blue Comet. And I think the Blue Comet is open again. And when I first moved back here, Blue Comet is this little bar in Glenside. And it's a great place. Great, great, great place. It's a little bar in Glenside that would have rockabilly bands sometimes. I never went for the rockabilly nights, but when I first moved back here after I lived in Chicago, I didn't have any friends. So me me and one guy from the radio station uh, here, we would go and we'd take the train to Glenside. I think it was the R5 or the R2 or something, and we would go to the Blue Comet to see Tommy Conwell uh, do covers, you know, acoustic covers, and Tommy would be there in a suit. It would be the coolest thing ever. The Blue Comet was awesome, and then it closed down. I think they lost their liquor license or something, and then the Blue Comet opened up again. And I don't know what it's like there now, but the thing is, with places like that, sometimes when they open back up again, they're uh, they're never quite the same as they were in the first place. I don't know if that's the case with the Blue Comet. If you uh, if you um, what's it called? If you go to the Blue Comet and it is still great, let me know. Uh, the the other thing that happened in Philly sports today, I guess you can still call it Philly sports, is Mr. Pat Burrell um, didn't announce, but it was confirmed that Pat Burrell, because of his foot problems. Um, Retired uh, from the sport of baseball, and Charlie Manuel said, "Today on lunch with Charlie." And if you can, you can hear this. I, I couldn't believe that I heard the words come out of his mouth. I couldn't believe I heard these words come out of his mouth. That Charlie Manuel said today during lunch, lunch, lunch with Charlie. It's all podcasted at cbsphilly.com. That that he heard that Pat Burrell was going to have a front office position with the San Francisco Giants. The notion of Pat Burrell in the front office for any organization, anything at all, is amazing to me. So Pat Burrell won't be playing baseball anymore. And the uh, the image that we'll have of Pat Burrell here in Philadelphia will have to be him on the uh, leading the World Series parade in 2008 on Halloween Day with his dog Elvis. Um, Pat Burrell is an amazing example in Philadelphia to me, and there's there's two sides of this example. There's the Pat Burrell side of the example, and there's the Donovan McNabb and Andre Iguodala side of the example. And Pat Burrell was a guy to me, for some reason, just never got criticized the way that I thought he should have gotten criticized. And it made me not like him. I got bitter about it. I felt like I had to take the other side. Because that year that he hit, when he hit 208, or something like that, that just awful year where we all, where we just sat here waiting for everything to come together for Pat Burrell and it never did. And I felt like there was this whole, um, attitude of, yeah, you can do it, Pat. Go get him, Pat. And we still took shots at him because he, you know, he came up through this organization and, you know, you can pick on your brother, you know, but if somebody else picks on your brother, you won't let him. And Pat Burrell was this one side of how we feed, how we treat athletes here. How anything that they'll do is okay. And then there's this other side. Um, the complete opposite is, and it's best exemplified, I think, in, in Igadala and McNabb. These guys that no matter what they do, they can't win. And, uh, there are two guys, Donovan McNabb and Andre Igadala, who never really, who never got into trouble. 
and um, you, by all accounts, were um, were very good ball players. You know, Andre Iguodala gets paid a little too much, but whatever. Brad Lidge got Brad Lidge is another guy. Brad Lidge got paid twelve million dollars a year here for three years to do nothing. You know, Brad Lidge sits on the um, the Pat Burrell. Uh, trained for some reason of never getting criticized. And then there's those other guys um, like Iguodala and like McNabb who no matter what they do, it just doesn't matter. You know, Andre Iguodala had a great game tonight. Really good game. Almost had his second straight triple-double. And uh, I just... I heard from people that, you know, he missed a couple of free throws at the end, and that was what they talked about. Or the triple-double he had on his birthday. Somebody wanted to talk to me about his comments after the game. And it seems like with guys like Iguodala and McNabb, people just hunt around and and search for things not to like. Um, Whereas with guys like Lidge and with guys like Burl, even before the championship, and I know you can make that excuse with Lidge after the championship, he won us the ring, and that one I'll excuse. But Burl, even before they won that ring, he got that pass, and I never understood what that pass was for, and I never understood why people, to this day, like, you know, yeah, Donovan McNabb threw a lot of passes low. (laughs) I will never understand why that is such a big deal. Um, and the thrown up in the Super Bowl thing. I'll never understand why it's such a big deal. Just, man, it makes me feel bad for him. It makes me like him more. Um, Big Daddy Graham coming up at 2 a.m. Big Daddy is in tonight, right? Hopefully there's no fights on the Big Daddy Graham show tonight. I want to ask Big Daddy what that thing was because people asked me um, what was going on with that fight. They asked me if I was in the fight. I didn't even know what the fight was. Were you in that fight? They asked me the next day. Uh, so Big Daddy Graham's coming up at 2 um, Matt from Fort Washington wants to talk about Brad Lidge coming up as well. And if you want to sneak a call in uh, before the end of the show, 888-729-9494. Uh, my name is Spike Eskin, and uh, 94 WIP sports time would be 134. Big Daddy Graham coming up at 2 a.m., don't know if there's going to be any fights. We shall see. I'm Spike Eskin. Adam, uh, my producer, warned me. He was like, hey, these guys on the phone think you're an idiot. I was like, wow, it took took two whole shows for that. I've been waiting. Um, not that I tried for it, but I'm just surprised I haven't heard it yet. Matt from Fort Washington. I, dude, I used to live there, too. I used to live in Fort Washington. I used really? To, yeah. Um, by that Wendy's near the L.A. Oh, Fitness. Yeah. Dresher, 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 yeah. yeah, right next to Fort Washington. And those townhouses. Yes, I did. Yeah, yep. I'm right by there. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not... Yeah, I'm I mean... Not, yeah, go ahead. You want to talk know, about Brad Lidge. Yeah, I mean, you, you're just, like, acting like he, he just took the money and, you know, was a bum for us for four years. I mean... Well, he, he, was, he was. He was? Well, I mean... After he, had he forty-eight saves for forty-eight, I mean, right? Come on. But that like, wasn't. But that won. wasn't. But that wasn't. Just in fairness, Matt, that yeah. wasn't that contract. He had that year, and then signed that three-year deal, and and he was useless for those three years. And only the third year was it really the injury year. That first year of that contract was not only a bad year, but historically, in terms of closers, all time, it was the worst year. He followed up that perfect season with the worst year. Year a closer's ever had in baseball history, and 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 then he followed that 
up with another bad year. And then he followed it up with a year where he barely pitched. So, um, I, again, I understand, I guess, why he um, people give him a pass because of the championship. But he was awful. I mean, he was stealing money. Stealing it. $12 million. Think of yeah. that. I mean, I, you got to fault the organization, not him. I mean, well, what are you going to do? Re- reject the contract? Well, but see, here's the difference. Is that when I say, you say, well, it's not his fault he took the money. Well, when I bring up Andrea Godala to you and everybody goes, ah, he's overpaid. And I go, well, what is he going to do? Say no to the money? Everybody's like, ah, that's not the point. Well, Brad Lidge didn't say no to the money. And I can tell you what, Brad Lidge as a pitcher after that year was far less productive than Andrea Godala was as a basketball yeah, player. Yeah, did Andrea Godala ever get us a championship? And no. do you think he ever will? Well, well, could he be part of a championship team? Sure. But Brad Lidge... For what it's worth, um, did not singularly bring the Phillies a championship. In fact, and thank you for the call, Matt. In fact, the next year when Brad, just to put in perspective how bad a closer can be, and you can still be a championship-level team, how insignificant, by and large, a closer is, Brad Lidge's perfect season, Phillies win the World Series. Brad Lidge's worst season in the history of closers, they're in the World Series again against the Yankees. So tell me, Brad Lidge didn't bring us a world, a world championship alone. He's not like a bad, he's a closer. He pitched, he pitched 50 innings. Uh, Larry, oh, no, Larry, Larry, please turn down your radio. Larry. Uh, yeah, sorry about go. that. It's all good. What's up, man? No, no, I 100% agree with you about that Brad Lidge thing. Like, the whole thing with these contracts in baseball is now you can you have one good year, but can you have consistent good years on a consistent basis and I'll do what you did the year before? If you can't, then you shouldn't be part of the team anymore. You shouldn't get more money. You should probably get less money. So <laughs> I agree with the whole Brad Lidge thing. Well, and, and look, and the thing that's amazing is that they signed Lidge to that deal. Uh, and they, it's, it blows up in their face. It blows up in their face. Exactly. And they wait, and then they watch, uh, the Mets sign K-Rod to a huge deal, and it blows up in their face, and then the Phillies, right on cue, Go sign Jonathan Papelbon to a huge deal, which is pretty amazing when you think about it, to watch all that explosions in people's faces, including your own, and then go do it again. So it's a little crazy, I think, that Papelbon deal. But I know that's right. And, and one more thing is yes, uh, the thing with what you said about uh, Donovan McNabb. I completely agree with, with you. Donovan McNabb, in my opinion, he got a, a raw deal because before McNabb came to Philadelphia, it was Doug Peterson, and when we got McNabb in the game and he started performing to his abilities, he made the Philadelphia Eagles. He got us the expectation of expecting Philadelphia to be a winning team. Before him, we, were, we weren't in the playoffs. We were losing to the Cowboys just about every every year. And then all of a sudden, you know, the guy comes in, makes us happy, you know, puts us in the playoffs on a consistent basis. And then all of a sudden when he starts doing bad, we call him a choke artist and – now, it's just sad to see somebody like that yeah. do as much as he did for this city and this team. And then when it all boils down to the end, people say, oh, he's the biggest choke artist that ever came to Philadelphia. Yeah, thank, thanks, for, thanks for the call, Larry. I agree in that I think what happened with McNabb is that the end of his career... For some reason, and this doesn't happen with all guys. Like Remember, with Lidge, it's the opposite. 
Lidge had three terrible years, and all we remember is him kneeling in front of the, the mound and celebrating the World Series. The difference with McNabb is that for some reason, in those last, I don't know, three years or however long it was, it made us forget how good he was when he was really good. Because when he was really good, he was really good. I mean, Donovan McNabb was, everybody will say, I was system, I was read, blah, blah, blah. Donovan McNabb did it, that, okay, that one, the Super Bowl year with Owens was amazing. Look at those numbers. Just go back and look at the numbers and then compare them to Vic's, you know, uh, first year here, or first real year here, when we were all fawning over Vic. McNabb's numbers were similar. They were amazing numbers. And before that, McNabb was doing it with horrible wide receivers. Do you remember what the refrain was in Philadelphia? That, that we didn't have any wide receivers, that it was Todd Pinkston and James Thrash, and it was all those things. You, Freddie Mitchell. Do you remember that? that he, and it was just him. It was just McNabb, and for some reason, the failures of those teams never fall on the, the feet of Brian Westbrook, and they never fall on the feet of, of Brian Dawkins, guys that, that also failed. You know, I don't remember Brian Westbrook doing something amazing to, to pull something out when he could have. You know, and I, I do think Don McNabb got a bit of a raw deal in that respect. Uh, John, I want to talk about Pat Burrell. You're on 94 WIP. Hey, Spike. Uh... Uh, first time listening, I think you got a great show. I uh, really like it. Thanks. I uh, just wanted to get your opinion on why Philadelphia seems to latch on to certain characters, such as Brian Dawkins, for example, or even players that uh, aren't Hall of Famers or even that good, like like Chooch or or right. even that. Why is why do you think they latch on to players like that as opposed to not really appreciating Donovan or or focusing on all the bad things that he did? Are you asking me? Um, yeah. Well, that's what I'm. That, I don't know. I'm puzzled by it. I think there's there's all kinds of different reasons to uh, that those things happen. Um, I think part of it, you know, with a guy like Lidge, it's. I, I think it's just that memory. I think no matter what he does, it's that that picture. Like when you think of Tug McGraw. All you think of is we win, right? All you think of is the cover of the Daily News with his arms in the air after winning the World Series. And no matter what happens with Tug McGraw before or after or regardless, that's what you think of with uh, with Tug McGraw. So with Lidge, I think it's that. Uh, other things, man, I, you know, I hate to say it and I, it's, I don't even have time to get into it. But I think sometimes, um, I think sometimes race plays a factor in, in how Philadelphia feels about certain players. Um, and I think it makes them, uh, I, I just, I see that happen sometimes. Um, and then other times, I don't know, other times maybe it's just personality. I think the, the thing with McNabb and Igadala specifically, who again are two guys who I've, I've interacted with, you know, I've, you know, who I, I, McNabb was in college, I was at Syracuse the same time McNabb was, who are both good guys, but I think they just, their personality, they just don't quite get it here to get Philadelphia and I think rather than uh, and I think what it makes them seem to us is that it, they don't like us when really they just don't understand us and I think it kind of turns them uh, I think it turns people against them sometimes So what do you think uh, McNabb's first ESPN broadcast, how do you think that'll go uh, of the Eagles? Whenever, whenever <laughs> He'll be good at that I think, I you know what I, I don't know um, I don't know, I 
I, I hope that time, you know, it's, what's funny is when Allen Iverson came back here with the, when the, he signed with the Sixers, which was obviously the Eddie Jordan year, which was obviously like a bad idea from the outset. He was not going to help. But all that love that we all felt from Allen Iverson, we all felt, forgot how much we wanted Allen Iverson gone toward the end there. All the bad things were forgotten for that moment. You know, we forgot that, that Allen Iverson became a very, very polarizing figure toward the end there. Um, and uh, I think that, I think uh, to some extent, time may heal, uh, heal all wounds with, um, with McNabb. I hope it does because it, there were a lot of good years here. Aaron, I got a minute yeah. for you, brother. What's up? No, I just wanted to say that the guys that get ranked in this town is simple. They're going to get passes all the time. And then guys like Andre Godala and Donovan, they're not going to get passes because they don't they don't get the rings. And I'm the good example like Trent Dilfer, he got a ring, but he's not a good player, but he always knows what's gonna be in the pass in his town probably. Yeah, well, I don't, it's, I don't. I don't know that Tampa needs passes or anything. I don't know that anybody really cares. Um, I don't. You think though that um, I, I don't. You think there are guys that get passes that aren't championship players though, for one reason or another. Well, then that's another thing with your personality thing. I mean, yeah. Philadelphia is a blue collar town, so if you have that blue collar mentality and that personality, then yeah. we're gonna like you better. That's just that's just how we are. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for the call. It's funny to talk about blue collar mentality because making multi million dollars. I don't. That's no blue collar there. I don't think. I don't know. That doesn't. It isn't. I don't even. It's it's too late to start Igadala and McNabb and blue collar. It's it's too late for that. Big Daddy, are there gonna be any fights in here tonight? What's that? Are there going to be any fights in here tonight? Because the, I'll tell you, Friday morning of last week, somebody tweeted at me. They were like, hey, man, because they didn't know what my hours were here. Were you in a fight with in Big Daddy's studio last night? I, I had no idea what they were talking about. It's like, no, man, uh, we had well, a good time. I, we I talked had for a, a uh, I had a – hello there, Spike. I had hey. a uh, – this is the second night in a row. There's nothing in my headset. It's all the way up. So I don't know if you can do anything about that in there, but this is two nights in a row. Um Yes, uh, I had Cruz and Adrian come in. Cruz is a, uh, one of my regular callers. He's a Cowboys fan. And I had, um, Adrian, uh, Adrian, who's a, one of my regular callers. Actually, Adrian's a, just a regular caller here, period. He seems to call everybody Giants yeah. fans. So the, I had them in for a debate. They, they started hating each other's guts about, I don't know, a year ago. So I figured, let's get them in. And the whole idea was to, for uh, nothing with this, huh? The whole idea with them was to, um, Adrian was supposed to prove that the Cowboys sucked more than the Giants sucked because they both sucked as far as we're all concerned. Right. And uh, it got out of hand in the second segment. Things simmered down a little bit for the third segment, and then all hell broke loose. <laughs> all, all hell broke loose. But everybody's fine. My my intern kind of like got grazed a little bit. So did I, actually, a little bit. Yeah, it sounded. Uh, I uh, heard but, a clip of it this morning. I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was it was a lot of fun. I, I need to do more of that. Uh, it's <laughs> I, I, I love talk radio because and and uh, I love when I love local talk radio in particular because somebody will always say something. I've been performing at the Glens uh, the Keswick Theater in Glenside for years now. Yeah. I probably opened up for, I don't know, 30 different big acts down there and done shows myself there. And I've driven by that Blue Comet and it's it's got a great little 
piece of neon. I love the name of the place. Yeah. Uh, it's right out of like a, a, you know, a David Lynch movie. Uh, it's just something about the blue common. I've, I've always up but never have gone in. It's, it's a little bit too far to walk from, from, well, from you the could Keswick. walk from the Keswick, yeah, but, but I'm it's not. A, it's a long walk. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm done. It showed, and there's a whole bunch of bars and restaurants right across the street from the Keswick. Yeah. So there's never any reason for me to go up to the blue common, but I've, Always noticed it. And then when you throw in Tommy Conwell, you used to do rockabilly shows there. And then I, I, I wish I would have saw those. Me and Tommy go back a, a, a long, long, well, too long. He's the best, isn't he? Uh, he's, he's the nicest guy in the world and an absolute brilliant, brilliant guitar player. Uh, I went to see uh, Eric Burden of the Animals fame. We got to get out of this yep. place and all that. Uh, at a place over in Jersey for people I work for a lot. And I get there, it turns out Tommy Conwell is uh, opening up. And the guy who was the producer of the show said, Hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce Tommy? Uh, it'd be nice, you know. It, it's always nice. Hey, it's somebody from, you know, it's Spike from, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you go out there and, and I, so I said, sure, yeah, I'd love to introduce Tommy because I used to work with Tommy uh, all the time back in the day. And it was the weirdest thing because, um, I, I wasn't expecting to go on stage and I was totally hammered. And I, I, I'm so used to, and I've worked that stage, the stage that they were doing a show at many times, but I never, drink or catch any kind of a buzz whatsoever before i'm performing yeah i i, I can't do it it, I, it screws me all up it's stand up as brutal enough as it is you know uh, without forgetting I, stuff yeah but yeah. I, I i certainly know enough stand-ups who get totally wasted before they go on and they're brilliant i'm not one of them but i walked out to introduce tommy and and then it dawned on me I, you know the lights were there and there's the mic and a big audience and I was totally wasted. <laughs> I was, I was lucky I got through the intro good. And I did. I gave him a great intro and sat down there. He's such a great guitar player. Amazing. Uh, he really is. Uh, you know, in the, in the style, Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, that great blues rock kind of uh, thing. And like a little rockabilly thrown here too. But, uh, he's just a great, great, uh, guitar player. I have, I have a 13 year old sister who loves playing guitar, but she likes pop punk and stuff like that. And yeah. I didn't know what to get her for Christmas. I was like, what am I getting? On his website, he sells guitar lessons. Oh, so I cool. got her two guitar lessons with Tommy Conwell. And I told her, I was like, look, you don't understand why this is awesome, but I promise you it's going to be great. And she called me up after her guitar lesson. with Because Tommy's not only a great player, but he's just a great guy. He's just a good no, guy to be yeah. around. And she called me up. And it was the first legitimate 15-minute conversation I've had with my 13-year-old sister in years about what a great time she had with Tommy Conwell. As He's always, yeah. what connects people, the true religion of the planet of the Earth, and that's music. Absolutely. The music will always connect people. You can drive through the richest neighborhoods and the poorest ghettos on the planet of the Earth, and everybody's got one thing in common. is a song that means a whole lot to them. It's uh, music's the, I've always called it, the true, true religion of the world. Great show tonight, Spike. All right, thanks, man. Big Daddy Graham is next. It uh, doesn't sound like there's going to be any fights at all, but you never know. Maybe me and you. Maybe, maybe, maybe me and me. Uh, my back can't handle it, man. I can't fight with anybody. So, uh, my name is Spike Gasser. Thank you for listening this evening. Uh, like I said, Big Daddy Graham next. 94 WIP Sports Time, 157. Sports Radio 94 WIP. In three days, 20,000 fans. Over 150 beautiful wingettes. I want to get like all glittered up, like my whole body glittered up. 27 competitive years. 
I don't care what he does. I care what I'm going to do that day. Two defending champions, Jonathan Super Squib and El Wingador. El Wingador is returning fire! And the greatest competitive eater in the world, Takiru Kobayashi. Kobayashi will be in Wingball 20. Wingball 20 tickets are sold out. Listen at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. every day to win a pair of tickets. Over $100,000 in cash and prizes. $20,000 to the top overall leader from Steven Singer Jewelers on the other corner of 8th and Walnut and IHateStevenSinger.com for the top local leader. A 2012 Chevy Camaro from Frederick Chevy. Online at Chevy on the BLV and 20 trips to Cancun from Apple Vacations, America's favorite vacation company. Visit AppleVacations.com. This is where Wing Bowl happens. Let's have this out at the Wells Fargo Center. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and Pro Flowers is offering an amazing early bird special. One dozen stunning roses plus a free glass vase for just $19.99. That's a savings of 50%. Just go to proflowers.com, look for the radio microphone in the upper right corner, and enter the secret code MUCH. But hurry, this incredible deal expires Friday. Flower prices will skyrocket during Valentine's week. Order now from Pro Flowers to get huge savings. You pick the delivery date, and it's guaranteed. One dozen gorgeous roses sent fresh from the fields, guaranteed to stay fresh and beautiful for at least a full seven days for only $19.99. And we'll include a free glass vase with every order. Remember, flower prices can double each even triple during Valentine's week. And this 50% off early bird special expires Friday. The only way to get this amazing deal is to visit proflowers.com. Look for the radio microphone in the upper right corner and enter the secret code MUCH. That's 